I'm Matthew Lung, and you're listening to the Westfield Second Ward Family History Podcast. All right, so Matthew, you're fairly new here in the ward, right? How long have you been in the ward? We've been here um, three years now. Three years. You came right during COVID, so you didn't get to know your neighbors very well. We got here, we got here um, about a year before, well, the summer before COVID. Okay. So, yeah, but COVID did put a snag in things. <laughs> you can say that. Yeah, it seems like we measure time before COVID and after COVID now, right? It's, yeah. <laughs> it's BC and AC, right? <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so where did you grow up? Uh, Honolulu, Hawaii. Oh, nice. One of my favorite places to be. <laughs> my sister's in Maui right now, and I'm very jealous. But she, she said, I called her, she, I talked to her yesterday, and she said it was 88. I'm like, it's only 75 here in Logan. So <laughs> I'm like, so it's better than, it's better than Hawaii. But uh, anyway, so, so, uh, so you grew up right in Honolulu? Yes. And uh, so do you have two or three memories from your childhood growing up? Two or three memories. Talking gospel related? Doesn't matter. Oh, okay. Now this is family history. So the funnier, the better, you know, any famous accidents, anything. Oh, okay. I got one of those. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, so we were... Surfing incidents? No, is, it's know? not a surfing incident. <laughs> um, but um, I think I was, I want to say I was about five or, five or six at the time. And um, we were coming home from a ward Halloween party. Okay. And my brother was, um, and it was it was an old um, uh, VW Rabbit. Oh, nice. Okay. Little hatchback on the back right. there. And my brother um, was driving, and my sister was um, shotgun. And so your brother's a lot older than you. Sounds like. Yes. Yes. Okay. So that brother, there's about twelve years between us. Okay. Yeah. Um, I have an older brother, even about 20 years above me, but oh, this wow. one was uh, 12 years um, ahead of me. And so he's driving. My sister's on in the passenger side. My cousin is in the back seat, and he's carrying all the all the leftovers from the from the party. The luau, I'll bet. No, it was a Halloween party. It was a Halloween party. Pumpkin pies and okay. and everything. Yeah. Okay. And so, and I'm like conked out on the hatchback behind my cousin. Like and laying down in the back? Lying down. Yeah, lying flat down on the back on the hatchback behind my cousin in this rabbit. You know, it's a small, it's a small car to begin right, with. Right, right. And um, so we um, were making our way home, and we, we, our chapel is about a block away from this big mall, big intersection by the freeway. And as my, as my brother's going through, going through the, the intersection, somebody ran the red light, and my brother ended up hitting him head on right there. And... and I mean, I was like sleeping in the back, you know, on this on the hatchback. This is before seatbelt laws and everything. Right, right. And um, next thing I know, I wake up, I look up, and I'm in my sister's lap in the front seat, where you know, in the front passenger seat. And so apparently, I um, flew right over my cousin's head and landed in the front, and I came out without no injuries or anything like that. No way. My cousin is in the back seat, and he's like. Um, Filled top to bottom with just mess with pumpkin pie all over him, <laughs> and the uh, and the car was the car was totaled. So that was one childhood memory I have since you oh, brought wow. up yeah. accidents. Yeah, no, that's good. These are the kind of things we love. <laughs> <laughs> um, one one other um, memory I had more on a spiritual note is uh, back in '78. Um, well, for a few years prior to that, actually, the um, Laie Hawaii Temple was renovated, gone through major renovations. Okay. 
that was um, the renovations when uh, they finally put air conditioning in the temple. Oh, um, didn't they have it before? No, no. Oh, my god. And goodness. so, yeah, the temple had, like, open louvers and, and windows and everything in the rooms and everything. And, that's, and there were just fans and that kind of thing. But they put, in, they put that in. They put, of course, like, the video equipment to... Uh, was for, it live before that? It was live before that. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Because that's a pretty old temple, isn't it? It is, yeah. So 1919 is when it was um, oh, dedicated. It's that old? Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, they didn't have air conditioning in 1919. No, they did not. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, they put a lot of things in their elevators. It was a major renovation yeah. for, for that temple at that time. And then they also extended it out. Um, Do you know, did they have big murals inside before? And did those get taken um, away? Well, the interesting thing, I can tell you about that afterwards. But then there were, there, there are big murals in there. And a lot of that got covered up. I mean, it was just, I, I think back in the 70s, they, they, they thought that they, were try, they would try a different aesthetic in, in the different rooms in the temple. And so a lot of, um, they even had like glass, what do you call that? Stained glass. Stained glass. Stained glass in, in a lot of the rooms in the temple. Beautiful stained glass. Yeah. And that got covered up by, by plaster and all kinds of things. They just kind of closed it off like that. <sighs> And, and they didn't restore that until 2008 when it was a re, when, when it went through a, another re, um, renovation in 2008. And they brought it back? And they, yeah, when, as they were kind of cleaning up the temple and renovating it and everything, they, someone realized, hey, there's stained glass behind this wall. And they started opening it up and then, and then they found this beautiful stained glass. So that's back now. Wow. Which is nice. I'm glad to hear that. As a historian, that makes me happy. Yes. But um, in 78, I, I was about five years old at the time, and one of my first memories was going through the open house. My dad um, just carrying me through the temple, just kind of walking through, through the temple. It's not a large temple. That must have really stuck with me because I remember going when I was 12, you know, for the first time to do baptisms. I, I do remember, it, I mean, the whole temple felt familiar Yeah, because of that, I feel. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, a couple of memories there. Very cool. That's very good. Well, so uh, how would you describe the development of your faith? Did you grow up in the church? Are you multi-generational? Mm-hmm. Yep, multi-generational. My, well, my dad and um, his mom were the first two to get baptized on that side of the family. And that was a big deal because they're um, from Chinese ancestry. Oh, really? And so they, they were the first two on that side. My grandfather did not get baptized right away. He was a um, very faithful Confucianist. Hmm. A couple years later, someone, I don't know exactly who, but someone in the church actually sat down and talked to my grandfather about the work that we do. in town. Confucianists um, have a strong connection to their ancestors. Right. My grandfather had the altar in the back of the house. He would leave food offerings. He'd leave, you know, the burn the incense and all of that. But then when this person came and explained to him why we do the work in the temples, which is we're not worshiping our ancestors, but we're really, we honor them. We, um, we want to be sealed to them for all eternity. And then the light went on. And then he immediately embraced the gospel. And oh, he wow. joined. And he and my grandmother and my dad, um, faithful members till the day they died. Nice. Um, on Except my, for I'm not happy that your dad died. Or your, but. Oh, yeah. That's another story <laughs> for another time. <laughs> um, on my mom's side, they go back um, further in the church. They're actually one joined the church um, when Joseph F. Smith was in the islands. Oh, and, really? Um, yeah. Because he was like a 14-year-old missionary, I think. Yes. Yeah. It's crazy. That's crazy. 
And then he came back um, later in the 80s, uh, 1880s, I believe it was, with, I think it was his second wife, who was a midwife. And so she delivered a lot of the babies in oh. Hawaii, at the, I mean, you know, of the, of the families that were members at that time while she was there with, with, with President Smith at the time. Hmm. Yeah, so her name was Jelina Smith. And she, um, and so to honor her, they gave my great, great grandmother her name. So her name is Jelina, and that's been a name that's been carried down generation to generation. Wow, that's awesome. That's mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah. That's really, really cool. There's a book about his mission to the Sandwich Islands, is what they called them back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's very, very cool. That's awesome. So you've been a lifelong member. You were the seminary president in, the, in your high school and all that. No. <laughs> Born and raised in the church, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, scouts, mission. Where'd you go into mission? That. California, Riverside. Okay. Yep. yep. Hawaiian speaking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's cool. So do you have any other mission stories you want to share? Uh, mission was good. I think um, there were a lot of, um, you know, spiritual experiences I, I would have that, that I, and a lot of them I shared with, you know, Lahela and the, and the girls um, over the years. Um, I think for one that I will share with you is um, how I got my testimony of the Book of Mormon. Okay. I went into the MTC on July 1st, 1992. Three days later, on the 4th of July, um, I got a collapsed lung. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So that... Um, You're the second person in the ward with a collapsed lung. Do you know that happened to the bishop? Yes. On his mission? Yes, he told me that, too. <laughs> Holy cow. We, we um, compared notes on that a couple of years ago. <laughs> wow. How did that happen? It was just spontaneous. They, they said it... Occasionally happens to young men, 19, 20 in their teens old. and twenties that happen, and I, I kind of think that it, maybe it had something to do with the elevation difference between Hawaii and Utah. I'm not sure, but I was in the MTC and I was in the middle of our studies, and I was just progressively having a hard time uh, breathing and standing straight up. It felt like a really uh, like a knot in my back and just started building up. But anyway, long to get to it. You know, I said, oh, I, I don't feel good. I think I need to go to the, uh, need to be checked out. And then the, the nurse that was on call at the MTC at the time, I guess she's probably heard every story in the book. And so, she, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't you go? But then she said, but why don't you go ahead and go go back to your dorm and go rest it off a little bit? And I said, oh, I think this is a little different. And she said, no, no. You go ahead and do that. Take some Tylenol. <laughs> oh, so I'm like, okay. Be obedient. Went to, went to the dorm, took some Tylenol, rested for a little while rested for a few hours and and then finally the nurse comes and sees me later that evening and and says i think we better send you to the hospital <laughs> holy cow and so that's why i told you like 10 hours ago <laughs> so so they sent me to sent they sent me to the hospital they do x-rays they confirm yeah my well, my left lung is collapsing i got air outside of you know, kind of the, the lung is deflating, air is coming out of the lung. And it all sounds that. like the same thing that happened to Brent. Yeah, yeah, wow. that's pretty much that's pretty much what happened <laughs> with those. And so, I mean, I'm they 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 basically they hook up a chest tube, they 
they allow the lung to kind of heal itself and the chest tube is there to kind of just release some of the pressure and fluids that are building up outside of the lung. And, and I'm in there for, for about a week and I'm an ordained missionary in a hospital in Utah Valley. And well, you know no one, probably. Yeah, yeah, I know nobody. <laughs> and all the nurses that are on staff know that you're a missionary and you're not supposed to have the TV on and you're not supposed to be reading magazines or anything like that. And so they're, they're kind of, you know, watching out and making sure you're, you're doing the right things while you're, you know, like, even when you're in the hospital. <laughs> well, that's right. What are you supposed to do? So I'm like looking around. I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? And all I got was my scriptures. And so I just started reading. And so I just picked it up and I said, okay, I, I don't even have any of my MTC materials. Most of that was back, you know. At, right. So all I had was was just that. So I started reading the Book of Mormon. Um, from the beginning there, I um, read it sort of in seminary, you know. It wasn't until I was actually in that bed and I had nothing to do but read. And I, so I started reading. And um, I was on a lot of medication, you know, to keep me off the pain and all of that. But... Um, but when I was awake, I was, I was reading and I just read and read and then something happened while I was doing that where I just couldn't put the book down after a while. I just had to read. It, it, it changed from a, oh, I got to read. I got nothing else to read. And it changed quickly, you know, first Nephi quickly, you know, where it changed to, I, I, something touched me hmm. and I knew I had to, I had to do this. And so I read all the way till I was in the hospital for almost a week, and then they let me out. And I got through, I would say, probably up to 3rd Nephi by then. And then I had a relapse that sent me back to the hospital. That's what happened with Brent, too. Mm -hmm. Wow. And that one, because it happened twice in a matter of a couple of weeks, they ended up saying, you know, we're, it's, it's more than just, you know, putting the chest, we're going to have to do surgery. So they did surgery on me, and... In the meantime, my, my district went off to their mission, and I was still stuck in the hospital there. And I was, I was recovering for another week or so in the hospital. And while I was there, I finished the whole book. I mean, and I just knew, I mean, from that experience, just how true um, the Book of Mormon was and is. And, and that's, that's a testimony that's helped um, maintain me, sustain me through that, not just that experience, not just through the mission, but even till today. Yeah, still. Wow, that's Stick awesome. That. So after your surgery, everything was okay and served your mission without any problems? Yep. Mm -hmm. yeah, and the missionaries would joke on the mission that it's a good thing that my name isn't Hart. <laughs> and, uh, but, um, yeah, so it was, it was, I mean, I caught up with, with a bunch of my district. It's just I had a different route. I mean, I... What I did actually, I mean, after, after all of that, being in the hospital, they sent me back to the MTC just overnight. And then they put me on a plane back home to Hawaii to actually really, because I was good enough to be out of the hospital, but I wasn't good enough to be on the mission yet. And so they put, oh, okay. sent me back to Hawaii. They said, why don't you rest for a month or so? And we'll, we'll, we'll take things in. Um, and, and so that's what I did. I went home. I was... Um, kind of recuperating and when they when they determined that okay we're going to test you out so they contacted um, the mission president in Hawaii and and so my first official area as a full-time missionary was not in California but it was instead in Hawaii and wow. you know, 
in, in, a, in another ward in our stake, and I was actually posted with um, a couple of missionaries. They put me on bike and made sure that I was good to go for about a week, a couple of weeks. I, I, I think it was a little over a week. And when I was with, with the missionaries in there, um, that was when Hurricane Iniki oh. hit the islands. Oh, wow. And so I'm, I'm like, after a couple of days of biking, I mean, coming out of, I was only in a hospital like less than a week ago, and I'm back and I'm on a bike, and I'm, they, they're, they're taking me everywhere because they're, their, their instructions from the mission president was say, see if this elder is, is uh, well enough to go. And so good guys. They were really fun to, you know, to, um, to serve with. We did a lot of teaching and everything while we were there. And I even had a first baptismal commitment over there in, oh, in Hawaii. But, awesome. um, but while we were there, I mean, I was dead tired at night. I was sleeping and can hear the sirens going off, the alarm sirens. Winds are picking up. It's like, I mean, it's storming outside. And I just, I mean, I just slept through it all. The next morning, the elders are like, hey, what does that mean? When we heard the sirens last night, what does that mean? They're asking me because I know I'm from there. And I'm like, oh, that means to turn on the radio. <laughs> you know, and so you're supposed to turn on the radio to find, get instructions on what to do. And then, and then yeah, I mean, the hurricane was, was upon us that morning. That was interesting. The bishop um, from the ward, he grabbed us and helped we helped him to gather supplies and help the members um, wait out the storm at the chapel while that was all going on. But that was my experience. My first, my, my first ward that I, you know, my first area that I served in was there. And then right after that, they, they put me on a plane um, and I rejoined the rest of my district in California. Oh, wow. So did you see the baptism through or did the, you get transferred? To um... Yes, I was there for the baptism. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, how was it like serving in your own stake? Was that? It was. It was okay. I mean, everybody kind of knew my story, so I, I mean, and I knew a lot of the people from Hawaii because I mean, we went we all the stake things right that you do as a youth, you do together, and mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, they they knew who I was and why I was there and not somewhere else, and it was a good. I I feel it was a good. Yeah. start to the mission and i i feel that that all of that experience i mean the, you know the lord knows what each of us needs and for whatever reason i know the lord knew that i needed one a testimony of a better stronger testimony of the book of mormon if i was going to preach and and so he gave me that experience which led to this experience and it was a great start i feel to the mission wow yeah well that's fantastic i you know, it's so funny to do this because we see people every day or every week in, in church, and we don't know these amazing stories. It's, it's really, really kind of fun so, to get to know you guys a little bit better. Well, tell me, uh, what family relationships have had the most impact on your life? I would say, I mean, obviously, right right here, right now, Lahela and the three girls, Ka'ui, Kamele, and Kelohi, um, have the greatest impact on me on a daily basis. And it's, I think it's a it's a learning experience for me, you know, kind of as we kind of go along with with everything, especially now that we're kind of entering another phase in our, our life. You're getting close to the empty nesters, aren't you? We're getting there. Yeah, yeah, we got we got two in college, and Kelohi is well, one's down in SUU, and Kameli's uh, down in SUU. Kowi will be joining her soon, very soon, by the way, and and then it'll just be the two of us and. Kelohi, who's in who's in ninth grade. Yeah, so 
they're the ones that have the biggest impact. I feel like I'm learning as we go along just as much as just as much as the kids are. I know, especially Koui being the oldest one, I think she's <laughs> she's been our experiment. <laughs> yep. So I think we learn a little bit as we go along. We get a little bit better. <laughs> Koui's been very patient with us as we have with her. <laughs> I still remember taking my oldest son home and we were like Who's supposed to take care of this kid? We're, we're, we're not capable. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, that's how we were too. Koui was, um, she was a preemie. Oh, wow. So she was born three pounds. Um, she was um, nine weeks early. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, maybe Lahala can share more of that story, but we weren't prepared for her arrival. <laughs> yeah. I was just talking to somebody and he said his wife, her water broke at 23 weeks. Oh, that's oh, or, that's early. Yeah, it's really early. She had to spend sixty-six days in the hospital. Wow. And uh, and then he said he was taking the baby home today, so for the first time. Mm. And so, uh, wow, it's crazy. So. Wow. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard anything like that. But well, very cool. Well, uh, what's your professional life, and what influenced you to do that? My degree is in accounting. Okay. But I do nothing with accounting. Oh, really? No, I am not. Um, I do healthcare IT consulting work. That just kind of morphed into things. I was already work. I was working at Kaiser Permanente while we were going to college. Mm. And um, when I got, when I finally got graduated my degree in accounting, I thought, okay, I'll see if I can get an accounting job at Kaiser. I'm already employed. You know, it'd be an internal transfer, easy thing. Right. And so I applied for the job, waited, eventually got a letter saying you're not hired. And so I thought, okay, I'll try for some other. I got, I kept on trying for accounting positions, staff accounting positions, and no, Kaiser would not hire me as an accountant. That's crazy. Um, bottom line came down to they said you don't have any experience. Sorry. <laughs> how do you get experience with that? Yeah, that yeah. drives me crazy. Yeah, and I'm, you know, I've been, I had, by then I had already been working at Kaiser for several, for I mean, for about four years because it was all four years that I was going to college, I was working at Kaiser. So I thought, okay, what am I going to do? I can either get a job in an accounting firm, you know, and, and do it the traditional way, and or I could find another job. And so I, I liked, at the time, I really enjoyed Kaiser. Uh, it was a great, I felt that they were a lot more of a family-friendly organization than, than the big accounting firms at the time. Um, and so um, I stayed with Kaiser. I just had to find another job at the time. I kind of did different things. I worked in a nephrology department. I worked um, in audiology for a while. Worked in well, my job previously was in surgery clinics, and then uh, finally, um, uh, someone that knew me, one of the managers um, from one of the other areas, knew knew me, and so she gave me a shot, and I got I got hired in a different position. I got as a management assistant, and then from there, um, I did that for a few years. Helped to open up a um, dialysis unit which was uh, really exciting that was really good I, I feel very good about that work in it or doing others doing uh, like more more on the management side so okay. um you were managing a dialysis unit. well i was assisting the manager um for that so we we worked with we worked on making sure that uh, the patients were properly transitioned from the care that they were getting to um to the care that they were getting we um i also uh, worked with the physicians. They were doing a big um, push back then. They didn't have a lot of kidney care education. 
like they do nowadays. And someone who's moving towards dialysis, there's a lot of organizations now. They have really good um, process where they where they provide education from like a nutritionist, a pharmacist, a, f- a doctor, a nurse. You know, they get all of this different what they call multidisciplinary care and education. And back then, that was like a new thing. And so I helped. Um, I was more the administrative side and helping them kind of organize the groups of patients to get this new education, new care. Worked with them to kind of transition to that and from pre-dialysis um, uh, to dialysis and, and, and moving forward and then also to helping them get on transplant lists. And I managed a database that, that tracked them through the transplant process and all of that. Um, but I did that and eventually I transferred over to electronic medical records were becoming a new thing. And this was a long time ago, about 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago now. There were all, all the records, a lot of the records were still on paper. Yeah. And so I, I, I got into that at that time when it was, when it was new. They were looking for people, and there really wasn't an educational path to get into that type. They were just looking for people who had some experience in healthcare to get into that. And so I got into it early. So I helped Kaiser in Hawaii uh, get set up on their new uh, electronic system. We, we set them up clinic by clinic. So I would hop around from all the different clinics, kind of work on their rollout, getting the physicians prepared, trained, and, and ready to take on this new system. And I would also go to the other islands. So we would go to Maui mm-hmm. and um, the big island and Every and island all of in that. Hawaii is awesome. I've never been on a bad island. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you all the good food places on those <laughs> islands. Uh, all the places we went for lunch, all those different, all those work days. Um, but those are all like, most of them were like day trips where you just kind of go fly into Maui, first flight in the morning, do your work, hop on a flight in the night. Oh, wow. Next day, do the same thing. You know, it's cheaper. Back then, it was cheaper to, to fly than it was to stay on oh, site. Yeah. So that's what I did. Oh, wow. And a- after doing that for Kaiser for a while, almost about 10 years, I would say, I, decided, you know what, I think I can do this on my own. And so I left them and it kind of went into consulting on my own. Oh, wow. Just had to hustle for work and reach out to different hospitals and different organizations. So I did some consulting work um, in Washington for a couple of organizations there, one in Renton near Seattle and another one near um, Tacoma. And that was good. And I also did some work for back at, in Hawaii for a rival hospital another hospital in, in Hawaii that's not that's a, like a non-HMO more of a traditional hospital system over there and I I still keep in contact I still do some work with them now hmm. help them to get off the ground because the EMR was new for them at that time too and yeah. so they needed their their team trained and so I did some mentoring and uh, alongside of the the work that needed to be done at the time over time the consulting opportunities in Hawaii started to try out yeah, dry out. They were um, the staff of analysts and the teams that they had over there were getting more mature, more experienced. And so they didn't need consultants mentoring them anymore. So I was trying to do, I was trying to find more West Coast work because that's the closest to Hawaii. And even that they were, they were very, they're kind of scrutinizing even that a bit because there was a lot of, even they could get consultants a lot closer from in their proximity. They didn't want to have to pay to fly someone from Hawaii to Washington anymore um, or to California or anything like that. Right. When there's a consultant in the neighboring city right. that can just drive in, you know, or something like that. So 
So that was being hard, and that eventually led to our decision to move up here oh, okay. so we could be a little bit more central. Opportunity-wise, here in Utah, I could look for opportunities on the West Coast as well as the East Coast, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the traveling, is not wouldn't be as big a deal. Even the time difference is not that drastic. Right. So we made the move out here, and a few months later, COVID hit. <laughs> I was I was all set. Um, just when COVID hit, I was all set. I, I had a new contract in New York. I was supposed to start that. And this was at the end of March of 2020. And it was, it was supposed to be a good long-term contract. He said, okay, we're ready for you. Come on out, you know, and we'll get, we'll get started on that. So I had my plane ticket ready. You know, I was, um, had my arrangements all made. And then a, a, a week went by and, you know, a couple weeks actually went by. And then I was, about, I was supposed to report on that Monday. And here it is Thursday, Friday. And I haven't heard anything from this hospital. Haven't heard a word from them about, about things. So I called my agent up and I said, hey, I haven't, I'm not sure where I'm, supposed to, where I'm supposed to go to. I mean, well, I know where I'm supposed to go, but I haven't heard anything. And usually they contact you like the weekend before. Just say, hey, make sure you come at eight o'clock. We'll meet you at this address. You know, we'll we'll get your we'll get we'll get you set up and and and, and started. And my agent said, okay, let me make some calls. And they tried to make some calls. They too got no answer from them. And so they called me back and they said, Matt, don't get on that flight. Just stay. <laughs> just stay there. Uh, I don't know what's going on, but I'll let you, but I'll let you know what's up. Just. Just, just, just wait. So that's what I did. Okay, I'll wait. And of course, that was when COVID hit New York Rudy, big time. Rudy Gobert shut big down time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that was that was. Um, and and I haven't. I mean, and that was fine. I mean, I had, I, I was, I, I had other contracts and other work and everything. So it wasn't like we went without work. But yeah, ever since then, the whole the whole um, scope of. Consulting work has changed um, where we don't travel anymore. Yeah. You don't have to do any traveling. It's all Zoom now, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing how things have changed. Yeah. We, and, and it's even, even like their own full time staff that, that work at those organizations, they, all of them, they let their own personnel work from home. Mm-hmm. And um, they've sold off their IT buildings. You know, they've canceled their leases, whatever it is, just because they realize that the work that we do, I mean, can be done pretty much anywhere mm-hmm. as long as, you know, got the professional people that can stay focused and get the job done. It doesn't matter where you're at and they can save a lot of money, mm-hmm. you know, in the meantime. So that's kind of so, yeah, I haven't had to travel at all. Not a, not a single day since since COVID. Wow. So do you like traveling or is that a... So a good or bad thing? I like meeting the people face to face, and so from that perspective, I I enjoy it. I think it makes for a much stronger working relationship when you know them, and mm-hmm. even if you're there just to just for a week or a few days, just to get to know them, and then even if you don't travel at all ever again, at least you know when you pick up the phone or you're calling them or emailing them, you know who you're talking to or who right. you're working with. Right. So from that perspective, I, I miss that. But I don't regret the 15-step commute, you know, um, to from to my home office over right, here. Right. So, and and it's so nice being able to be home and being here for Lahala and the kids and just mm-hmm. um, 
you know, can have come out, have lunch, and go back in and be here when when the girls come home from school or whatever's going on. So that's really nice. Very good. Very good. So what has nurtured your testimony most during your adult life? Probably the experience of others um, around me. So I think um, the older I get, the more I, I um, appreciate like the experience of, like for example, my own father. Mm-hmm. He, he was a great example of, um, of a man who honored his priesthood and, and fulfilled his responsibilities. He was, the, he was a person, and he would tell us this when, when we were kids. He would say, oh, when the priesthood, or when, when, pe- when members call on the priesthood, you go. And that was, that was basically it. He, didn't, he never hesitated from that. He had members, um, home teaching families and, and whatnot, that, and, and others in the ward that just um, looked up to him so much that when they needed help, they needed a blessing, they needed whatever, they would just call him directly, you know, and it wasn't from any position that he held or anything. They just knew that he that he was they could they could depend on him. And there were a lot of times. I mean, when I remember growing up, and the phone would ring. I mean, we were, maybe you're getting ready for dinner or whatever, and the phone would ring, and he'd pick it up, and it'd be like less than a two minute conversation, and then he hang up, and he said. I, I got to go sister so-and-so or this family or whatever it is, it needs a blessing or, or it is in need of some help. And he would go in, go into his room, come out with a white shirt and tie and off he would go. And nobody in the family ever thought anything, but what a, um, him, what his dad was just doing his priest of duty. And so for me, that's the kind of example that resonated and, I didn't appreciate it at the time, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but the older I get, the more I, I look back on that as the kind of example that I I want of my girls to see in me. You know, whenever someone needs something, whenever anyone's calling on the priesthood, I just you go. And he knew that. I think my dad knew that the Lord would take care of the family. You know, when he did that. And I trust the same thing too. That whenever I gotta go to fulfill a priesthood responsibility, the Lord will take care of my family. Very good. Well, cool. What life experience has caused you most to trust in God? I think everything I shared with you. Yeah, I um, think the collapse lung probably had a big deal, huh? Yeah, yeah. I've had I've had a number of health issues and things that required you know, medical and surgical intervention. You know. And I could say that every time that I've had to go under, <laughs> I always felt at peace. I wasn't worried that, okay, I might not wake up or whether this or that or, you know, or anything like that. Um, I always felt that, you know, even if I didn't wake up, that I knew that my family would be in the Lord's hands. Of course, I, tr- I do all I can while I'm healthy and well to, to make it, you know, make it the best possible situation for them. You know, you work hard, plan for the future, all of that kind of stuff. But in the end, just know that, you know, everything is in the Lord's hands. Mm-hmm. And you just try to, you just try your best to, uh, to prepare for the unforeseen. But other than that, I've always, I've always felt at peace that then whenever my time comes, that 
Um, I, I don't know if I would say that I lived a celestial life, but I would probably, I'm sure I would be happy no matter what degree of glory <laughs> I get in the end. Mm-hmm. Very good. <clears throat> what do you love most about the Westfield Second Ward? The people. I think, um, I, you know, I mean, we're been, we've been here three years, but, you know, we're still learning more and more about our neighbors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but the, I mean, we've we've had we've made some great relationships, you know, with with different families um, in the ward. I mean, just um, we've we've I, I, you know, this is a neighborhood where I just feel like okay, my girls go outside to play or to do anything. I I don't have any hesitation about the families around or you know whoever might be around. Uh, I and you know when we when we travel or go you know for a weekend or or longer. Feel that our home is safe, you know. We got we got neighbors that are looking out for each other, mm-hmm. and I think that's that's the best thing I like. I enjoy about the ward. Very good, yeah. It's a it's a great ward. So, do you have a favorite calling? Yes, I do. What's that? The one I'm in right now. Which is? I'm teaching your son, Preston. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Yeah, we just got called about a month ago. So, I mean, they they had. Previous to us, we hear that they had some really great teachers. I think the Eves were teaching before us. Oh yeah, but um, have you heard Brother Eves' story? I don't know. Okay, it is incredible. I, I should not have favorites, but his is my favorite. Okay, one I will listen you to have that to one. Listen because it's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> I'll listen to that. But we we really enjoy. I mean, both Lahel and I surf together, and we enjoy teaching the youth, and so that's. We we love oh, the yeah, fact that we're that we're both that we're both called together to teach a youth class. I've been out of town a lot lately, so I didn't even know he'd changed teachers. He didn't tell me anything, so I thought it was still Brother Eve, Brother and Sister <laughs> Eve. Sister Eve has an interesting story too. Holy cow! Well, very good. Um, do you have a least favorite calling? A least favorite calling? <laughs> no. I, have a least I always tell people, you know, you're safe. You can always say scouts because you can't get called the scouts anymore. <laughs> well, I guess I could be safe and say um, seminary here, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> You'll never be called as a seminary teacher. Yeah, that's another one. Have you ever done that? Um, not not on a regular basis, no. Is it like you subbed or something? Or? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, we there's been there's been times when we've we've gone in and, and helped out. That was you know that's early morning seminary. Oh, it starts at five thirty in the morning. I could never have done that. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, you do. You get used to it. That's yeah. right. <laughs> used to not sleeping. All right. So uh, if you could send one message a hundred years into the future for your posterity to hear, what would that be? I, I have nothing to profound to say about that. <laughs> I don't have anything profound. I would I just, just be the best person that you can be. I figure history would make its own judgment but i think that as long as you're being you're you're doing the best that you can um don't worry about being perfect just just be the best you okay very good so is there anything we didn't talk about you're on the prices right uh, anything like that you know the kianinis were on the wheel of fortune i don't know if you knew that they were both was in hawaii yeah was it in hawaii then they did i i actually (laughs) 
We actually did. Um, me and um, a close friend of ours, our, our two families were very close for for forever. And um, me and my friend Mikola, we both applied. We we went to a, we went to a, a Wheel of Fortune. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was Best Friends Week that they were they were looking for people to in Hawaii, and so we went and we. We got to spin the little fake wheel, and and there was someone there to, you know, to act. You know, we would basically play out a, a game to see, okay, how would we do in front of TV? I guess I didn't do too well because I wasn't selected, <laughs> but my but my friend was. Oh, nice. He he went on for Teachers Week. That's right, and he won big. Wow. He, he, he won. He won his show and got some money and a trip out of it. Wow. And. Um, Yes. Did yep. it take you? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was exciting. That's the closest I ever got to fame. <laughs> that and a podcast now, right? All right. <laughs> well, great. Well, Brother Long, I really appreciate you being here on the uh, Westfield Second Ward Family Podcast. Thank you. Thanks.